Everyone agrees that there's a clash of truth and falsity in our minds. The idea that there is some kind of dark and light side struggling for power within us is present within nearly all spiritual traditions, from Christianity to Hinduism to Star Wars. Even a strictly physical worldview identifies certain people being under the sway of delusion and emotional disturbance and others that aren't. Even the people who argue, it's all fine, everything that comes into your mind is fine, are pushing back against the thoughts that come into our minds that are saying that the other thoughts aren't okay. This discussion turns especially potent when we're talking about the darkness inside people's minds that causes so much harm to the human race. Depression, despair, violent tendencies, bad judgment can lead to all kinds of pain. But why? Why is there such persistent, crafty negativity in our mental space, and how can we get it out of there? Tonight we're going to discuss theories of cause. We're going to look at how the experiences of Swedenborg and others help illuminate this mental maze for them, and what it could mean for us, and explore some of the quickest ways out. Stay tuned. Alright everybody, welcome back to Swedenborg and Life as we embark on our second season here. Great to have you all with us. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm going to be the guy talking us through uh, this. I'm the host. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, which is a non-profit that works to m make cool stuff that helps people. Um, that's our official mission statement, I think. Uh, also, if you guys want to be a part of this show today, we're going to be taking live questions. Uh, just be writing them in as the show goes. You know the drill. At the end of it, we take them. We try to answer them we do our best we do the best we can uh, and hopefully it turns out well so thanks uh if you're joining us for your first time um thanks for coming you're gonna get weirded out by this episode if any if anything is saying uh, how to free your mind from hell it's either like a scam or people are crazy uh, and <laughs> the show is free so you know we got to be a little closer to option two there. Uh, I mean, we're going to get into, we're going to be talking about stuff like spirits. We're going to be talking about things like the sources of thoughts and feelings. But hey, mental negativity is a huge topic. And perhaps if we have to go on these journeys to find the actual legitimate source of it, it's worth taking that. So either way, I hope you enjoy the ride. Buckle up and we're going to start with part one, freedom and the mind. Yeah, so we're going to, as I said, we're going to go all over the place, we're going to go down the rabbit hole, and we're going to have a lot of information this time. So if you can handle that, then I think we can do something really cool here, because i got a lot of different angles to come at this, how to free the mind from, and we're going to take a look, of course, at what Swedenborg had to say, but not just him. We're going to find out how does stuff converge, and is everybody's little pieces of the puzzle pointing to the same thing. All right, so first we want to take a peek at the nature of freedom and the nature of the mind, the source of thoughts and feelings. Freedom, uh, we want to look at the way that what you would call evil takes away freedom. Now, there's sort of two facets to the, the evil phenomenon. One is the negativity we receive in our own minds, from our own minds. You know, people get beaten down and, and by their own thoughts and feelings. They get, they get harassed constantly. Uh, they, people can be very broken just by the messages they, they assemble inside themselves or that they perceive. That's sort of one side of it. Then the other side 
which I'll do with my other hand, is that where we are doing harmful things that cause harm to other people and end up harming our life. And we're going to kind of see where these two sides intersect. Um, We want to start with looking at how freedom, you can sort of feel free when there is evil or negative behavior present, but that actually many traditions realize that this is actually the opposite of freedom, even if it can feel at times like you're free. So we're going to pull up a couple quotes that we got just looking around in some of the major texts, religious texts in the world from Islam. O men, God's promise is true, so let not the present life delude you, and let not the deluder delude you. Surely Satan is an enemy to you, so take him for an enemy. From Buddhism, when a man grasps at things, Mara, the evil spirit, stands beside him. Sikhism, all vices are like chains thrown around the neck. Christianity, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So you have all of these traditions and all these powerful teachings and teachers saying, hey man, this stuff is dragging you down, right? So we're going to take a little bit of a look into the nature of this negativity or this evil and into the ways that we can free ourselves from it. So let's get into Swedenborg a little bit here. Secrets of Heaven, 892. He's talking about freedom and internal slavery. Once someone has been regenerated, and that's the process of spiritual growth, it's, it's going from being self-centered and mean to, to outward-focused and loving in, in brief. Once someone has been regenerated, he enters for the first time into a state of freedom. Previously, he has been in a state of slavery. It is slavery when evil desires and falsities predominate, freedom when affections for good and truth do so. As long as he is in a state of slavery, a person never perceives what his situation is. Only when he enters a state of freedom does he start to do so. When he is in a state of slavery, that is, when evil desires and falsities predominate, the person who has become subject to them imagines that he is in a state of freedom. While anyone is being led on by any kind of love, and Swedenborg uses the term love to describe both positive and negative attraction, by any kind of love and following wherever it leads, he imagines that he is free. It is, however, the devilish spirits. Okay, weird alarm. We're we're talking about devilish spirits affecting our thoughts and feelings, and it's only going to go farther from here, so get ready. It is, however, the devilish spirits in whose company and, so to speak, fast-moving stream he is caught who carry him away. No one ever enters into a state of freedom until he has been regenerated and, and is being led by the Lord by means of the love of good and truth. When he has entered that state, he is enabled to know and perceive for the first time what freedom really is, because he can at that point know and perceive what life is, while the true delight in life is, or what the true delight in life is, and what happiness is. So it can feel like when we're being pulled along by negative things, by egocentric things, selfish things, it can feel like this is great, but actually we're completely at the, we're completely being dictated to by those thoughts and feelings. That those desires can yank us all over the place and it can be destroying our life, but we feel like we're just following what we want because it feels good at the time or because it's coming from what appears to be internally. This is the first little piece. We have three pieces we want to set up here before we sort of get into the the how-to section of this show. So that was the first one. The second one comes again from Swedenborg's Secrets of Heaven, but skip forward about 5,800 numbers. It's long. Um, So this is Swedenborg talking about his personal experience with evil spirits interacting inside him. Uh, And this is a major theme in Swedenborg's works, and it's one we're going to touch on a lot today. And I know I'm doing a lot of these tangents, but Swedenborg became 
able to perceive the operation of the spiritual world on him. And he was very shocked by what he found, that he couldn't believe the amount of influence we get from the spiritual world. He's describing some here. I've often noticed that evil spirits invest themselves in particular with a person's false notions and evil desires, and that when they do, they control him in a despotic way. For one who gets inside a person's evil desires and false notions makes him subject to himself and turns him into his slave. So again, this this idea of being enslaved to evil thoughts and feelings. But an influx coming through angels adjusts itself to the person's affections, which they guide gently, turning those affections toward what is good without breaking them. The actual influx of them is silent, barely perceptible, for it is an influx into the person's interiors always operating through his freedom. So here you have the angel and the devil on the shoulders. In Swedenborg's case, the, devil, the, the dark side behind, the light side in front. And uh, hell is trying to enslave, enslave minds, enslave people, and heaven is trying to let people be free, even though it doesn't always feel like that. It's the whole situation of the mind. As we all know, just from having a mind, you know it's confusing. What, what are all these thoughts? What are all these feelings? What, am, what can I trust? What's leading me in a good direction? And the sort of the spiritual, you know, we said in the beginning, we're going to take a look at causes. You know, Swedenborg, uh, and we said that everybody agrees there's this clash of mental phenomena. Swedenborg says there is this spiritual reality underpinning the whole thing. And we're going to look at the, you know, the validity of that. How does that fit with the mind that we know? And so he's saying that there is this effort to control from the negative and effort to uh, protect and lead in freedom from the positive, even if we can't always sort it out. And you see sort of the different ways they act there. And so finally, Divine Providence 308, and then we'll have got all our setup done. Oh, and this is just happens to be the biggest one. This was one of the hardest things for Swedenborg to swallow, one of the hardest things for me to swallow when I started reading it. Uh, everything we think and intend is flowing into us. And since all speech flows from thought, like an effect from its cause, and all action similarly flows from volition, everything we say and do is flowing in as well, albeit secondarily or indirectly. No one can deny that everything we see, hear, smell, taste, and feel is flowing in. He's talking about feel like touch feel, like put your hand on something. What about the things we think and intend then? Can there be any difference except that what flows in from the physical world flows in through our outer or physical sensory organs, while what flows in from the spiritual world, or you could say mental world, he says everything mental is coming from the spiritual world, flows in through the organic substances of our inner senses or our minds. In other words, just as the organs of our outer or physical senses are attuned to material objects, the organic substances of our inner senses or our minds are receptive of spiritual objects. So, it's a strange, challenging concept that we are being influ- our thoughts and feelings are being influenced uh, by the spiritual world in the same way that our sensory experience is being influenced by the physical world. You know, something walks by that changes what you're seeing. And you know, if you really want to get a big project done, you got to be able be willing to bring up some big tools, rip a lot of stuff up, uh, rack up a lot of costs. And similarly, if we're going to go around trying to free the mind from hell, free the human race from suffering, we're going to have to go into some some challenging, interesting ideas. And this is like paramount. There is this uh, um, the the inflow of thought, and we'll see in all these other sections that being able to be on board with that concept and realize that we can have internal influences that is the key to everything. All right, so we've got our key. Let's try it in a lock here. We're going to look at part two, reflection.
All right. Um, yeah. And so, as Stuart was pointing out, who made that? That was a refraction, actually, on that bubble there. But no, because you don't know if there's another flower on the other side of it. Anyway, I don't want to get any letters about it. Um, <laughs> the point is, we're going to look at the importance of reflection in in the mental sense of looking at your thoughts and feelings, because only with that kind of introspection can we start to build up the tools and you'll see why it's an essential part and so i want to introduce i'm going to have a couple of other characters besides myself in this episode because for looking at the influence of dark side or negativity or hell on the mind you know you want to get swedenborg's take and you want to get other people is this if this is a real phenomenon that's affecting everyone other people should be running into this as well um so the first person i want to introduce you to is william stillman who's an author um he uh has written books on a lot of different subjects he, he had a book on autism and god connection looking at, at, at yeah those kind of mental disabilities and spirituality um so there, there's all kinds of cool stuff he's he's gotten into and also he's done a lot of work with people who are under siege by what you would call negative forces or evil spirits, as Swedenborg would describe them. And something that he pointed out when I was talking to him about it uh, and, and hearing what he learned through his working with those people and his own experiences, there was something that he said was the most important thing to start, and I'm going to let him introduce that right now. The first thing that people need to understand about what Swedenborg calls evil spirits is, um, n- number one, they're very real, and they do exist. Yeah, yeah, so that's it. Number one, they're very real and they do exist. Uh, this is, you know, and if you're watching this and you don't think that kind of thing is true, maybe give a little space to the potential of that concept because, you know, there's no harm if it ends up not being true. That's fine. But if you can give space to that, then we can at least examine it because nobody has a, a lock on what the causes of thoughts and feelings are and what the causes of harm in, inside a human mind are. So if we can open ourselves up to that possibility, or maybe you've had plenty of experience with it and you're saying, yeah, this this uh, acknowledgement or that, that acceptance of that potential is an important part of it. And, and you can see Swedenborg gets at it too through this principle of reflection. This is from his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, 734. Likewise, when we do not reflect on the things in our own mind or our motivation, how we are thinking, what we are thinking, what we are doing, what is motivating our actions. Without reflection, we know nothing, except that we are, and nothing else, not what we are. On the other hand, if we reflect, then for the first time we are able to know ourselves. Otherwise, we can never learn, but remain in our illusions, and from them, reflect upon others. So one thinks truths are falsities, because one is judging from one's illusions. So I like that, that if... If we don't think about what we're like, all we do is reflect on other people and what's wrong with them, right? So we got to be looking in the mind, right? And, and get to know your thoughts and your feelings and what patterns do they follow, what motivations are behind them. And we're going to give you some tools to help you do that here. We're going to take a look in Divine Providence, which is another of Swedenborg's books. Um, and this, we were setting all this up. Stillman was saying you got to believe that it's real where we were saying uh, before that, you know, everything flows in because here Swedenborg is saying this is the key to freeing your mind from hell. If we believe that, as is truly the case, everything good and true comes from the Lord and the meaning of good and true thoughts and feelings, and everything evil and false comes from hell, then we would not claim the goodness as our own and make it self-serving or claim the evil as our own and make ourselves guilty of it. 
However, this contradicts the belief of people who have convinced themselves of the appearance that wisdom and prudence come from themselves and do not flow in according to the way their minds are structured, which is all of us to an extent. We all, it all seems like, oh, it's all me. Everything I think of is me, even though we're sort of on this inexplicable treadmill. Like, where, how do we formulate thoughts? We don't know, but it just feels like you so much that you're, yeah. But Swedenborg is saying, if you can flip that, the rewards are big. The payout is big. It seems as though it would be impossible to believe and think in accord with the truth that everything good and true comes from the Lord and everything evil and false from hell, when in fact to do so is truly human and angelic. If we make these two acknowledgments, we simply reflect on the evils within ourselves and to the extent that we abstain and turn from them as sins, throw them back into the hell they came from. So you see this in other traditions. I, I know like in, in various branches of Buddhism, it'll be like, you'll be talking about mindfulness or in meditation techniques, you'll say all the thoughts that come into your mind, just see them as clouds that are passing by rather than grabbing them and identifying them. Just see, oh, that's a thought. It's not me. And Swedenborg is just taking this and labeling the sources of the, th- the thought factories and saying that the good and the true is just from heaven. The evil and the false is from hell. So the good news is we aren't, we, we have a detachment from it already. And in acknowledging that, the Swedenborg was shown this very clearly, and we'll see in some later quotes he has, he's like, nothing could be clearer to me than this, even though it was strange to him at first. But in acknowledging that fact, he was able to start to, as he said, we could all do, deflect the negative and let the good in more, which is pretty worth it, right? So this is why we're putting this out today. Okay, so enough enough with me chatting. Let's get to another one of our, our guest speakers. This is Jerry, and we, a couple episodes ago, were talking about this same concept of, of hell, but in a different way, and it was called How to Deal with Evil Spirits, and we introduced you to Jerry, and he was a guy who was coming anonymously because he was working in the field of mental health with uh, schizophrenics and people who are hearing voices, and he was asking them, what do your voices say? What do they want? And he would sort of record it down, and he found out this whole a whole world of how these voices acted, and he found those voices act just like the evil spirits Swedenborg describes. So, back then he was anonymous because he didn't want to get in trouble in his job, but he retired in between that show and this show, so we can give you a little more information on him. His full name is Jerry Marzinski, and he'll introduce himself further here. Yeah, first of all, I'd like to tell the audience that, you know, now that I'm retired, I don't have to worry about you know, the ball and chain of being in trouble with psychiatry administration for speaking out on these things. Otherwise, I'd end up in their office going, you know, what, hey, what are you doing? What are you, you know, what are you saying these crazy things for? Which, you know, kind of really inhibited what I could say in the past. So I can freely speak about the world that psychotic patients are in. And, and it's, it's a hell of sorts. Um, and it has important implications for everybody. A little bit of my background, I spent uh, 35 years on the front line of mental health, seven years of those at one of the biggest state hospitals in the world, uh, Central State in in Georgia. Uh, I spent 14 years in the psych department of the state prison, 10 years working in a hospital crisis in the ERs and various treatment programs. And the whole time, you know, I was studying what these voices were um, and, and how they operated. And I've been in trouble a bunch of times for asking patients questions about that because psychiatry wouldn't permit it. Right now I'm a licensed therapist, but (laughs) if some of the stuff I'm about to tell you guys today gets back to the board, I don't know how long I'll be licensed. All right, so 
Let's, let's put his career at risk, all right, shall we? Um, so that's a little introduction. And one of the most, when I first met Jerry and interviewed him, uh, one of the most fascinating things was his conclusions regarding how the experience of schizophrenic patients who are out on sort of the end of this spectrum, uh, how that experience can tell us a lot about how things are going on in our own minds. Um, so we're going to hear a little more from Jerry about that sort of cross-application and the use that we can get out of what he's learned and what other people have learned there. So here, I'll let him continue. So it's important to know that the schizophrenic patients experience these voices as intrusive thoughts, you know, similar to the intrusive thoughts that we have. I mean, they're still part of the human race, they're part of the normal curve, but, you know, they're right, they're out in the last 1% of the normal curve. They're the same kind of intrusive thoughts that we experience, but those thoughts, they don't come from you. Next time you have one of those, ask yourself, where did that come from? You know, it's not yours, you're horrified by it. The question, where it becomes a little more uh, hard to understand, is with negative thoughts that aren't quite so extreme, but they are negative, and they're suggesting that you do stuff that's going to get you in trouble or they're suggesting that you keep running stuff through your head that makes you miserable. You know, how do you tell the difference between what your thoughts are and, and these things that, that keep coming in and irritating you? Well, bottom line is intent. You, know, you have to ask yourself, is it your intention? You know, now, these things can't make you do anything, but they can certainly suggest it. You have to ask yourself, where did that thought come from all right so intent is an interesting this is how you can tell it apart that he's saying that even for these patients it's not necessarily easy to discern all the time what's your thoughts what are the voices but if you look at the intent behind that like why why the why why is this thought here jerry goes on to talk about this he said that there was this guy who he met that was schizophrenic uh, you know in the er schizophrenic and an alcoholic and that the, he told the story of why why he couldn't give up drinking, you know, and that it was related to the, the, the voices or the, the evil spirits that were um, con- pushing him into this stuff, and that they had this intention to ruin his life and get the highs that they were looking for. So that Jerry would then pass this information on, and he makes some interesting points about how that further reflects on all of us. So here he continues. You know, who's in control? And you talk to these guys, uh, the alcoholics, and after I, I heard his story, uh, almost every alcoholic I dealt with in the ER, you know, that I thought wouldn't get me in trouble, I'd tell him this guy's story. And I'd say, was it your intention to get brought here by the police? You know, was it your intention to lose your house, your wife, your job, everything that you've had? Was that your intention? You know, and they go, well, no, no, I didn't want that to happen. And then, Yes, well, then whose intention was it? Alcohol is just a, a chemical. You know, it doesn't have any mind. Whose intention was it that you are now in the mess you're in? Whose intention is it that you keep drinking? You know, and, and that kind of takes them back. You know, and they can, they can look and they can see that, you know, that building up to a drink. You know, hey, go over to Johnny's house, you know, knowing that he's got alcohol over there. Or uh, you can have just one drink, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the intent of the thought. So if you have intrusive thoughts, it's like, look at it and go, well, you know, where'd this come from, which most people don't ever ask. I asked that once in the PhD program when I was there, and, and I red flagged myself to, 
the head of the department is looking at me like, what kind of spaceship this guy fall off of, asking where thoughts come from. <laughs> spaceship. I like that part. Uh, where did this come from? This is the same principle Swedenborg was talking about, introspection, you know, looking at the thoughts, scrutinizing the thoughts and feelings, and Jerry's saying that the intent behind these matters, and that we'll get into the intent of heaven and the intent of hell. If we're trying to look for the intent behind thoughts, we'll see uh, sort of what that might be a tip-off to in a minute, although you can probably guess. However, I have one little, more little clip from Jerry, which is he once had an experience where he he experienced during his experience um, what he thinks was a form of what the the patient's experience and it was just a brief thing that came and left but it was so striking to him he still remembers it uh, you know decades later and he was swimming in a lake late at night and he was pretty far out and suddenly he had these very strange thoughts come into his mind that were that were like it sounded like his thoughts, but they were so different in content that it stuck out to him, and they were tr- trying to convince him he was going to drown when he was out there, even though he was a very accomplished swimmer and everything. So um, uh, here, here's him talking just a little bit about that. What surprised me is this thing sounded just like my normal thoughts. You know, there wasn't any change in timbre. There wasn't any change in intensity. There wasn't any change. There was no noticeable change except the intent. You know, it's like... It didn't fit, you know. Drowning was the last thing on my mind. I wasn't going to drown. I was certain of it, you know. It wasn't going to happen. But here's this thing saying, okay, you're heading for the bottom. You're going to drown. We we uh, whenever we're looking at goods or things that are produced, we or we don't always, but we often want to know where were these produced. For example, you've all seen "Made in China" on something right? Uh, we, we see this sort of on the back of things written out, this little like made in China tag. Um, and that means different things to different people, right? Uh, and, and the meanings of it can change, but it affects how we think, or we look at our food, where is that sourced, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and so from that, we make decisions about um, our where we're going to go and purchase things from. But we, can we do the same things with thinking? You know, can we look at our thoughts and see, you know, is there a, is there a made in somewhere tag? And then we're going to, to be able to look for the tag is what we're trying to get you tonight. All right. So one last thing for this segment, Divine Providence 312. Um, oh, no, we're doing 6202. Oh, I forgot to do this one. Okay. That's why it's all messed up. Uh, there's two more. One of them is Secrets of Heaven 6202. And we're going to take the subject further with this as he starts. To take the subject further, it should be recognized that all evil flows in from hell and all good from the Lord by way of heaven. So we said that before, we'll say it again. The reason, however, why evil becomes a person's own is that he believes and convinces himself that he thinks and practices it all by himself. In this way, he makes it his own. So we don't, and we don't know any better, everything that's coming in, we think, oh, that's me, and so we assimilate it. But if he believed what is really so... It would not be evil, but good from the Lord that became his own. Again, he's pointing out that for some reason, just knowing about sources changes the whole equation and the whole outcome. For if he believed what is really so, he would think the instant evil flowed in, that it came from the evil spirits present with him. And since that was what he thought, the angels could ward off evil and repel it. For influx from angels takes place into what a person knows and believes, not what he does not know or believe. And there was nowhere else for it to become firmly established than in something that the person knows or believes. So, you've got to have that knowledge in there, that heaven is trying to save us, but it can't 
heaven can't work unless you have something to work with, some substrate in the form of ideas. So that if we get this concept together, that's when angels can actually work to divert the evil influence. But if we don't have that knowledge, there's nothing for them to operate into because it violates the freedom, right? And we'll get to why the freedom is so important. Okay, now we're going to look at Divine Providence uh, 312. Um I may add, oh yeah, so this is this is Swedenborg uh, just talking about personal experience here. Um, and so this is just a little of what it's like if you can see spirits and talk to them. I may add here an experience that is quite common in the spiritual world. One spirit can instill her or his own thoughts and desires into another spirit, and the other spirit is totally unaware that the thought and desire are not arising spontaneously. In the spiritual world, they call this thinking in someone else or thinking from someone else. I have seen this a thousand times. However, as soon as people realized that someone else was instilling these thoughts and feelings, they became resentful and turned away. I may append to this experience something that happens to me every day. Evil spirits are often inserting evil and false elements into my thoughts, things that seem to me to be within and from myself, as, I th- as though I myself were thinking them. However, since I, have realized, since I have realized that they were evil and false, so again, this introspection, this realizing, I have asked who was inserting them. They have been unmasked and driven away. This shows that everything evil is flowing in with its falsity from hell and that everything good is flowing in with its truth from the Lord, and both seem to be within us. So, if you believe him, Swedenborg is saying, this happened to me so much, it just became the norm for me. And because I knew, hey, this is evil and false. And this is like a stepping back from everything that comes in, oh, this is all me, so it's all good. This is Instead, you're looking almost objectively at yourself to say, this is coming in, oh, this is not good. Therefore, it comes from hell. So, and him being able to do that, not only did he get to see where it came from, but it was taken away. So we can't, we can't you know, I can't, I don't know if you can, see spirits and, and the spiritual world and angels and how it all works, but with thoughts and feelings. If we can put the same labeling on thoughts and feelings, we can get the same kind of deflection process, or that's the promise. All right, so if we're going to try to label these things, we got to sort of know what we're looking for, right? So we're going to, part three, we're going to take a little tour and, and try to do some spotting of the nature of, of the elements of hell. So here we go. This segment, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're calling it Hell Safari, because we're going to look at sort of the nature of hell and the nature of the kinds of thoughts and feelings that would come from hell, because if we're going to do this labeling process, we're going to have to try to do it with an informed perspective. So, let's start at the beginning. We have the overall aims uh, of heaven and hell. You said intent, like Jerry said. Okay, what's the intent of heaven? The intent of heaven is to make you profoundly happy forever. The intent of hell, make you miserable and destroy you. And you can choose. You can go with either one, man. But, I, you know, there are some people who would argue one over the other. All right? So those are the overall aims. And so I want to go with, go back to some of our guests and hear people who are dealing with this stuff in real time. Uh, you know, what is it like and, and what have you gotten? So this is William Stillman again, and he's talking from his experience working with people who have been under siege by, by negativity uh, and also his own experiences. So this is what I just asked him, you know, what is hell like, you know, or, or whatever you want to call it, what's it like? And this is what he had to say. They are 
masters of deception and they are very clever manipulators. They're also very insidious in that they operate in a manner that's subliminal, meaning they will attack our subconscious. They'll do that a couple different ways. They will create sleep disturbances, so they will deplete us of mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical energy by creating nightmares or night terrors for us. For the person who is already struggling with their mental, emotional well-being, they will create this mental loop that is repetitive over and over again that says things like, I'm the only one who really understands you, or I'm the only one that you can trust. I'm your only friend. So they try to engage us in masquerading as something they're not, as masquerading as a comrade or a confidant. Sometimes they'll try to masquerade as a child to elicit our sympathy or our empathy to align with them. In case you don't think that they really do, well, <laughs> hopefully you believe Swedenborg or one of the two because there's the exact same phenomenon described in Swedenborg's Secrets or Spiritual Experiences 1283. And I'm trying to look for points of confluence here. Um, so, because if, if it's the truth, people should be seeing the same thing from different angles and time periods. Because this devil, this is Swedenborg talking, it's, we're dropping into the middle of a story where he's interacting with some kind of evil spirit or devil. Because this devil showed himself outwardly as innocent, he revealed his true self to me in a vision of a little child, with a not unhandsome face carrying some kind of container in his hand, but in his right hand he held a dagger. Because of that, I was enabled to know at once that his intention was to kill with the poison he carried in the container. And of course, under a guise of innocence. Therefore, such a spirit is immediately exposed, however much he strives to hide himself. In this way, it is also known that he's among the worst, like the one having such a strong poisonous aura. So ignore the references to other characters. We're dropping into the middle of a story. doesn't make sense. The point is, he was having this interaction, this same kind of, oh, hey, I'm, I'm innocent, I'm not going to do anything, was there. I, I remember uh, Jonathan Rose, who's the, the editor of the New Translations, once said, for Swedenborg, every day was Halloween. Like, Swedenborg had these experiences. That, that's from his journal of spiritual experiences. He had this incredible stuff happening all the time, and a lot of it was really spooky, just like that. Okay, so, just wanted to point that out, because it's just what William Stillman was mentioning, so we're going to go back to his, uh, to William's description of hell. Here it is. But this is how they get their foot in the door. They're very clever and duplicitous in this manner. Once they get their foot in the door... Then they scope out our Achilles heel. They'll target our most vulnerable weakness, and they'll begin to prey upon that. So if you have in any of your past history been at all addicted to alcohol, prescription medication, illegal substances, pornography, gambling, binge eating on all the wrong foods, cutting yourself or, or doing anything that's self-injurious, they will target that and they will begin that repetitive loop that then descends into self-deprecation. You're ugly, you're fat, you're worthless, nobody loves you. It would be so much better for everyone if you just killed yourself. That's what they want. They thrive, they feed upon creating fear, anxiety, chaos, and they delight in destruction. 
what they ultimately want, and they don't even like me illuminating the truth here, but I'm going to do it. What they ultimately want is to set up the situation such that it is ripe for a murder-suicide to occur. Some of the people watching this show may even know or have been people who were addicted, seriously addicted to cocaine or, or meth or heroin or perhaps alcohol. And if you interview those folks who have really struggled in, in the depths of their darkest days, they will talk about hearing the voices of evil spirits, demons, um, telling them to harm themselves, telling them to harm other people. So even even for those of us who haven't experienced something as extreme as as you know life overtaking addiction or or the the draw to commit suicide or something like that, we still experience similar patterns, don't we? I mean this this negative looping, uh, you're no good, getting this these messages from our mind, and it doesn't make any sense. Why is that stuff in there? So these are people that say, hey, I've seen a little bit farther back the the supply chain, and this is coming with intent. You know, this this stuff is working on people with goals. You know, that was one of the things that, that Jerry said, the other guy we showed you, that he first found about these these voices is that they're goal-oriented, like they're trying to do stuff. Um, so I'm going to give a little talk here about two points Swedenborg says about evil and how it operates. First of all, he says that hell is run by love of dominion. Is what he, That's an old translation of it. Basically, it's controlling people, making them do what what you want them to do, and, and, and cutting off everything positive for them. So what, what I see this as applying to the rest of us is you're trying to label thoughts. You're trying to find out where's the hell tag on thoughts. Is it controlling you? Is it, does it not give you any freedom to move? Is it demanding your attention? Is it demanding you take a course of action? Is it cutting off other joys? Is it trying to dominate your life? To me, that's a good, um, that's a good hell tag. The other thing is worry. We're worrying about things. And there's something very interesting when you look at the whole picture as described by Swedenborg, because the, the really, in the world he describes, with God as God is, heaven as heaven is, hell as hell is, the only thing that's actually dangerous to us that we actually need to worry about is loving evil. Or, or bringing evil in and living by it, which is not how it seems in life, because in life you might be worried about things like, um, am I ever, like, am I important at all? You know, am I ever going to find enough friends, or am I ever going to find a, a calling or a partner? Those kinds of things, right? But the way Swedenborg describes, you know, the afterlife, we get all that stuff. If not this life, we get all that stuff in spades that, that we have, you, we saw in other shows that we did here. There's communities that we you become part of a community which is like the people you feel the best with that you could ever so you get all these really tight close friends everybody finds a partner that's just right for them and that we each have our specific place in heaven that we can do something that nobody else does just like we do it that all those needs are taken care of so in my mind and this is like you know my own hypothesis but anything that's trying to get us to worry about anything like that it's got to be from hell because god's not saying that right God's not saying, man, you better get cooler so you get more friends. You know, sorry, that's my God impression. That's disrespectful. Um, but do you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? That, that, that in the grand scheme of things, as heaven sees it, we're going to be set on all that stuff so they would never be introducing worry about it into our minds. So those are a couple of my thoughts on the tags. Let's hear a little bit more from Jerry on the nature of 
the evil spirits or the voices uh, that, that he's had experience working around? Uh, and, and what are they like? And see if you recognize anything from your own thoughts in there. So here he is again. So, I've, you know, I've spoken to hundreds, maybe thousands of uh, psychotic patients who heard voices. And, you know, I couldn't get a decent answer from psychiatrists of what they were other than hallucinations. You know, but that didn't make any sense because they were consistently negative all the time. They constantly attacked the person. Where hallucinations, I mean, a true hallucination, it's negative, it's positive, it's neutral, it's all over the place, it's as individual as the patient himself, but not these things. They were consistently horribly negative. They ran the person down, told him he was no good, he was rotten, nobody liked him, uh, people were after him. I mean, it, it was just a hell of negativity. You know, and it was directed. It was it was directed. It wasn't random. It wasn't random like regular hallucinations. You know, they they want complete control. Um, you know, they don't want they don't want the the patient to have any friends. They don't want them to have any family. They will they they hate families. They want to destroy the family. They hate little kids. They they don't want you to trust anybody except them. They don't want any interference. They don't want. Um, anybody else in the way they you know they have a like a classic signature of what they what they tell these people i mean and, and this is classic it's like um they'll tell them they're no good they're rotten nobody likes them they can't trust anybody so they can go into the person's head and they can pull up every rotten thing that person has ever done you know even stuff that person had long forgotten which amazed me i mean you know patients would tell me help I, I hadn't thought about that in 30 years, you know, and they'd come up and they put it in their face and just keep rubbing it in, rubbing it in, rubbing it in, you know, and then they tell the patient to kill themselves, you know, saying you're no good, you're worthless to anybody, kill yourself. They can't stand positive emotional energy, so they have to generate negative. That's why the negative stuff they put in their heads is constantly negative, horrible. The rottenest stuff they can put in there, that generates the negative emotional energy, and then they drain it off, just like we milk a cow. They separate them from their family, their friends, they isolate them so nobody can interfere. They drain them, and then they put them back out there to eat food, you know, and regenerate more energy, and then they come and they attack, you know. But they sound just like your own thoughts. Their hallmark is their negative. They will do anything to generate negative emotional energy, and they're relentless. You know, they'll tell you you're no good, you're worthless, you did this stupid thing, uh, everybody hates you. I mean, anything they can put in your head that will generate negative emotional energy that they can later suck off, they'll do it. So, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of similarities in the descriptions of William, Jerry, and Swedenborg. And this is people in different fields in different parts of the country, different country in Swedenborg's case, different century. Uh, but yet, and when I was telling Jerry, I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, talking to this guy, William, and he says a lot of the same things as you. And Jerry's like, yeah, the truth. <laughs> you know, that if everybody's tr doing gravity experiments on different parts of the planet, they're all going to find the same thing. Are we seeing the same thing here? Oh, no, man. Yeah, I don't know. It's up to you. It's your, you're in freedom to decide that. Um, so let's close this segment with something from Swedenborg's Journal of Spiritual Experiences. Oh, this is where he's talking about worry and thoughts, man, because even if you don't hear voices, you're going to have worry and worry and thoughts. So I wanted to put this out because I think it's a very fascinating little anecdote. Um, and so we're dropping right into the middle of something like we do. Um, so he's talking about objects of thought that cause him worry and the spiritual influence on that. So 
They are any objects of thought, whatever, which, when one is held in them or one's reflection is kept fixed upon them by spirits, create a great deal of trouble, for the most part having to do with one's own affairs or things that are to come, as is evidenced from much experience. Here he goes into his experience. Whenever I was prompted to think of my little garden, of him who cared for it, of my having to be called home, of money matters, of the attitude of my acquaintances, of the character of the people in my house, of things that were to be written, how they would be received. So he's talking about his own books. Are people going to like my books? By the people and the possibility that they would not be understood, of new clothes that I had to be obtained, that I had to be obtained, and many other such cares. Whenever I was kept reflecting on them for a long time, spirits would straightway throw in trouble worrisome, and evil things, together with supporting thoughts and desires. And I noticed that when I had not been in the thought of such things for months and years, I did not care about them at all, nor experience that they brought on any stress. These are the reflections of thought by which the longer one is held in them, the more one is infested by evil spirits. So he's talking about what we would call now rumination, or dwelling on worry. And he's saying that all this stuff, all these kind of worldly sort of matters, even like, you know, are things going to go well for me in my book writing, um, that the more he thought about that, the more negative spiritual influence started to get intertwined in there, that, that this sort of worry about, concern about the future attracted that, and that the more he thought about it, the worse and worse it got. And then if he just let it go, he's like, oh yeah, I, I never, I didn't think about that in a couple months, and it was fine. So, and he's, because he can see the causes behind it, he could see the spiritual influences acting on him during different phases of that. So, I give you that in case it helps you, because we're all trying to worry less, I would Think. Okay, so if we're trying, there's a motivational side to it, and it's, it's, a, it's a complex, long-term kind of struggle to try to get out of all the stuff that's wrapping us up in our minds. So our next section, we're going to talk about how it doesn't just happen, you got to want it. So we begin this segment here with a very pretty well-known, I mean, most of you have probably heard of it, the story of the two wolves, uh, which is a Native American legend. And, and so here, if you haven't heard it, here it is. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, Which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, The one you feed. So, how do we feed the right wolf? And this is not just something that this show is pointing out or even that legend. There, this, this comes from all over the place. We pulled a couple quotes again from major religious traditions. Um, Zoroastrianism, yes, there are two fundamental spirits, in thought and in word, in action there are two, the good and the bad. And this is this duality that's recognized in all kinds of traditions. Christianity, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Hinduism, the mind is said to be twofold, the pure and also the impure. 
Judaism, man's evil inclination gathers strength against him daily and seeks to slay him. And we're not the Holy One, blessed be he, to help him. He could not prevail against it. And then from Buddhism, beware, your clinging to ego is greater than yourself. Pay heed, your emotions are stronger than yourself. Your vicious will is far wickeder than yourself. So it's vigilance. It's that it's not just like, uh, you know, it's going to happen. You know, this is you. You're you're feeding one of them, one of the two wolves, no matter what. So the more, and it doesn't, as we we're saying before, without the reflection, you don't know which one you're feeding, and without the reflection, you don't see that feeding the negative wolf is actually causing problems in your life. It can see because, as we were seeing uh, with with some of the the guests that we had, um, the evil side tries to say, "Hey, man, I, you're glad I'm here. I'm giving you happiness. I'm giving you freedom. You want me around?" When really. It's the opposite. It's like the com- a company that's creating scarcity, or it's like a, an advertisement that says, hey, you know, you should look like this. Now we'll give you a product that makes you look like this. You would be better off if they never showed up in the first place, right? So it's the same way with this stuff in the mind. So you got to want it is what we're talking about here. And what is it? Here's the goal as described by Swedenborg. Um, we're looking for heaven. You know, when hell is gone, heaven is there. And that's everything we want, peace happiness, everything like that. And Swedenborg says, heaven is union with the Lord. But what does that mean? He goes into a little farther here. The Lord's union with us and our mutual union with the Lord are accomplished through our loving our neighbor as ourselves and loving the Lord above all. And to complicate it further, Swedenborg talks about how that's, those are actually relatively technical terms, um, the, that loving the Lord sounds like it's just loving God, but really it's loving the human race because God wants to benefit the human race, and so if we really love someone, we want to do what they want, you know, so so it's really loving God is loving everyone. Uh, so that's the goal, and then Swedenborg goes farther into it here, Divine Providence uh, 333. Oh, and this is, this is about um, how we've got to make the effort to turn that direction or else all the divine power in the world can't do it for us. Divine providence is constantly at work for our salvation, but it cannot save more of us than want to be saved. We want to be saved if we believe in God and are led by Him. We do not want to be saved if we do not believe in God and we lead ourselves. And I want to get, you know, we could get into it a lot more about what does it really mean to believe in God or not believe in God? What if you are a good person but you don't acknowledge a deity? We could get into that more. Basically, you know, the more you love what's good, the closer you are to loving God. The more you love what's evil, the closer you are to, to not. So, but for another time. Anyway, the second quote, True Christianity 150, the Lord is carrying out all these processes in all of us, meaning that he is trying to have these effects on us. We're, we're jumping in, he's saying all the effects of, of regeneration, of peace, happiness, finding the heaven mindset. And when we adapt and modify ourselves to receive them, receive good qualities, he actually carries them out in us. Even the acts of adapting and modifying ourselves are actually from the Lord. If we do not accept the Lord's processes with a willing spirit, he cannot carry them out in us, but his desire to do so remains constant. So it's not, so God is trying to reform, and by reform, you know, don't, you know, there's a tendency historically in religions, oh, we're so evil, God is, no, but we, it's, it's heal, it's heal to sickness in us of different kinds. Some, as we were saying in the beginning, some is the negative tendencies we have in doing things. Others is just the things we're under attack by. But we've got to want that. We've got to turn that way uh, in order for the divine to be able to work in us. Uh, and I was thinking that made me think of 
hitting bottom. Are you guys familiar with that? That's where, you know, you, it's, it's often referred to when there's some kind of addiction you have, uh, some issue is making your life totally unmanageable, and you, you, some event happens or something where you're, you realize, oh, I can't live like this. So I got into a conversation with author Peter Rhodes, who's been on our program before, um, and he had done a lot of work uh, with, with recovery programs and that kind of thing. And so we ha- I asked him uh, about this hitting bottom and, and how that affects people in, in their desire to change. So this is what he said. Yeah, there's a point where you hit bottom, which is at first when you start out in your drug of choice, whether it's alcohol or something else, uh, it's great, you know. It's what you want. But then gradually that self-centeredness and uh, self-giving uh, yourself, gratifying yourself, divine possibility to gratify the human ego. So you always want more to drink, more to drug. And eventually that's a downhill spiral. And it brings you to a point where the impact is having on your relationship with your friends or your wife or your children. You start to see the unmanageability of giving in to your will all the time. And that can get worse and worse and worse until eventually uh, the outcome of your will, Swedenborg talks about the evils of your falsity, everybody can drink, I think it's okay to drink. Well, you start to see the impact it has. And that brings up, you start to have a will outside of your selfish will. You start to be aware of, I'd really like to get along with my kids better. I'd like to see them more often rather than spend time in a bar or whatever it is. So that uh, hitting your bottom starts the willingness to be different, even though it'll be contrary to what you've said you wanted and what you may want. There's something else starts to develop. I think that's God's will within you. So then it says the only requirement for a membership in some recovery programs is a desire to stop, whatever it is, a desire to stop living that way. So, 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 so what, what matters is that, des- oh, sorry about that. What matters is that desire um, to, to work, you know, and that, that might seem like, oh, yeah, I have that. But, you know, that, that is the building block. That and then the concept that there is, uh, there's heaven and hell and good and evil come from those. So if we put those together, that's what the divine can work with to kind of lift us up and out. And it's why, why can't God just come in and, and do it is because of freedom, and you might that might be a frustrating answer. Swedenborg was big about that that there is no consciousness without freedom. That we think you, fr- people don't have to have it. That you could just have that taken away. But he says here, True Christianity 481, um, to become spiritual without having free choice in spiritual matters is as impossible as it is to shove a camel through the eye of a sewing needle, which is a biblical reference, or to touch some star in heaven with our hand. We are human because of our free choice in spiritual things. Without it, we we would indeed be a log, a stone. So that you know, it's not like we're people and we're given this extra layer of freedom. The 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 ability to be a conscious human being, freedom is the essential element in that. It can't just be taken away. So we get, but that's we're, we're very much in control of it. So we just got to start turning in this direction. But we got to have the tools, which is why we're doing this show. Um, it's not that hard, though. It's not as hard as you might think. To make these turns, as Swedenborg describes, True Christianity 523, uh, he says that people who, through repentance, have laid aside some evils that are sins, though, develop a resolve to believe in the Lord and to love their neighbor. They are held by the Lord in a resolution to abstain from many other things as well. Therefore, if it happens that because they did not realize what was going on or because they were overwhelmed by desire, they commit a sin... It's not held against them. It was not something they had planned to do, and they do not support what they did. 
So it seems like there's some some sort of in, in religion. There's this idea of like if it's a score, there's a scorecard, and if you mess up, that's counted against you. But you know, Swedenborg is saying, "Oh man, if you slip up, that's fine. I mean, you, you didn't want it. You can look back, and you, can, you you're not now condoning it. It's not that big a deal." So I just thought that that's worth it, uh, worth mentioning because it's an important part that it's not all this mammoth, un, unreachable goal. He says in another part of his writings, just examine yourself once or twice a year and really look at things you want to change. And so there's these two different sides. There's changing our behavior, and there's also we want to be free of these thoughts and feelings that are attacking us. And what Swedenborg is saying is that changing our behavior, aligning ourselves more with heaven and love and God, and getting the evil and false out weakens the attacking force of hell. So that's how we go about the whole thing. You know? All right. So there's that. We're going to get to our next section now as we wrap it up. We're going to look at the process of remodeling the mind. All right. So let's get to it now. So the house is a very common symbol of the human mind. I mean, Swedenborg says the house is a correspondence of the mind, meaning a symbol or a representation. But also in dream psychology, the a house is a, is a symbol of the mind. It pops up in, in art in various places. So going with that, we're going to give you some remodeling tips for the mind, if, if you're still willing to watch after something that corny. Um, all right, so the first tip, <clears throat> sweep the path. Sweep the path every day. What that means is have a consistent practice. Swedenborg says, True Christianity 5.30, If we abstain from one sin or another that we have discovered in ourselves, that is enough to make our repentance real. So what you can think, oh, there's so many things I got to do. One thing makes a difference. When we reach this point, we are on the pathway to heaven because we then begin to turn from an earthly person into a spiritual person and be born anew with the help of the Lord. So, that is one thing, just to just to be doing something. Uh, again, making some kind of effort, and whether it's, the, you know, I'm going to take this this idea that there is heaven and hell and thoughts come from there, and I'm really going to try to, when, when I see something negative coming up in me, I'm going to push it away. When I see something positive, I'm going to say, all right, you know, thanks God for that. That can be your little thing that you do. All right, so, and I wanted to get, the you know, more input from people who have been around people. Uh, you know, like I was saying, the the dark side and what is effective against it. So I asked William Stillman, I said, what what kind of stuff would you do to protect yourself and, and lead and lead a life that, that sort of reinforces your spiritual immune system? And this is what he said. Two things that we can be doing to combat evil spirits. The first is illuminate the truth. I cannot stress the importance of that enough. Illuminate the truth means illuminate every corner of your personhood so that there is no room for deception or lies of any kind, especially the lies that you tell yourself. Swedenborg talks about ensuring that our inner self is as transparent as our outer self and that those two concepts align with one another. This is the path to redemption, to a cleansing. But the other thing that is um, of extraordinary great importance is to uh, reclaim or reestablish your relationship with God on a daily basis. It is not enough to, to call out to God and his angels to suggest that uh, in your in your hour of greatest need, 
they're just going to swoop in and fix it all and make it all better on your behalf. While I believe that there is opportunity for that to happen, it is a reciprocal relationship such that you must be conscious and aware of investing time and energy into the relationship every day. So what I ask people is, do you have five minutes for God? And do you have five minutes, a minimum of five minutes every day at the same time of day for God? And in that five minutes, I'm going to ask that you pray or meditate, not for what you think you want and need, but to pray and meditate with gratitude, appreciation, and thanksgiving for all the gifts and blessings and privileges that you already have. Start from a place of gratitude. This is about building a spiritual reserve within oneself from which you can draw upon in times of need, just like taking money out of the bank. You're going to be depositing into that spiritual reserve to build a strong foundation such that you can have faith in your faith. What that will do for you, and as you're building that bond with God, it will strengthen you, but will also poise you to be in a position to be of good and great service to others who are struggling and experiencing things similar to what you are. It's a little spiritual financial advice as well. And I like that idea of building that reserve. And when things are going good, if you can build these habits when things are going good, then when you need them, when things are going bad, you have that built in instead of trying to start from scratch there. All right, so remodeling tip two, accept love deliveries. <laughs> yeah, we made that graphic. It's pretty awesome. Um, this is True Christianity 457 to 458. Uh, goodwill makes a connection between ourselves and God. Because God loves every one of us but cannot directly benefit us, he can benefit us only indirectly through each other. For this reason, he inspires us with his love. If we receive this love, we become connected to God and we love our neighbor out of love for God. God's love for people flows into us when we receive that love and cooperate with it, it becomes love for our neighbor. And wherever, uh, you know, love of God and love of goodness is present, you know, hell can't stand that atmosphere. So if you want to make yourself really toxic to the dark side, you got to do the light side stuff right? If I, if I can keep using the force analogy, um, that the more, and, 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 you know, it's not rocket science, it's doing nice things for other people, that lets you be a conduit for God. And the more you're that, the less that uh, evil spirits even want to creep up on you. Swedenborg talked about that once evil spirits knew that with him they couldn't get anywhere, they wouldn't even try it, because they, 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 they don't want to get into anything that they can't win, right? They, they don't like to play if there's an actual risk in it. All right, so, of course, if we're giving you real estate advice, uh, spiritual real estate advice, you know, the last, the third one is location, location, location. These houses, it almost doesn't matter what kind of houses they are because they're in such a cool spot, right? And we can't, if you're remodeling a house, you can't relocate a physical house uh, without a lot of difficulty, but spiritually, you can actually relocate all the time. In Swedenborg, this is a clip we're going to play of, of uh, Jonathan Rose reading Swedenborg, uh, a quote from Swedenborg about location in the spiritual world. And it's a fascinating concept about how we can actually be changing our spiritual neighborhood based on the kind of things we choose. So here it is. Every human being from infancy to old age is relocating and changing places in the spiritual world. In early childhood, we're kept in the eastern region there on its north side. In later childhood and youth, as we acquire a foundation in our religion, 
we move in a series of stages away from the north and toward the south. In early adulthood, when we begin to think with our own minds, we are brought farther south. Later on, when we become independent and able to judge for ourselves and are growing in matters that inwardly relate to God and love for our neighbor, we move into the southern region on its east side. But if we have a fondness for evil and indulge in it, we move toward the west. Our body is not kept in that interspace or central area, but our spirit is. As its condition changes by moving either toward what is good or toward what is evil, our spirit is moved to different places or locations in this or that region and comes into contact with the people who live there. It's important to know, however, that the Lord does not transfer us here or there. We relocate ourselves in various ways. If we choose what is good, then we together with the Lord relocate, or rather, the Lord together with us relocates our spirit farther east. If, however, we choose what is evil, then we together with the devil relocate, or rather the devil together with us relocates our spirit farther west. And please note that when I say heaven, I mean the Lord, because the Lord is everything to all of heaven. And when I say the devil, I mean hell, because all the people there are devils. All right, so, and to to further illustrate that, uh, we have a quote from Divine Providence 296, he says, we need to realize that all of us in spirit are in some community in the spiritual world, and a hellish one if we are evil or being evil at the time, and a heavenly one if we are good. Sometimes we are even visible there when we are deep in meditation, which that's a whole other con- that if you get deep enough, people in your spiritual community can see you. He talks about that you just kind of, you're not really, that you're like halfway there. Anyway, it's interesting. We'll get into it another time. Further, just as sound and speech spread through the air in the physical world, desire and thought spread out in the communities in the spiritual world. There's a correspondential relationship here because desire answers to sound and thought to speech. So just the way sound waves and that kind of stuff radiate out in the world, physically, spiritually, thoughts and feelings radiate out. So where you are spiritually, ge- geographically, uh, that affects what kind of thoughts and feelings you get coming in. So, that's what he says. Last remodeling tip, get a rain barrel. You know, if, if all this rain's coming down, but you can't harvest any of it, you can't keep it, it just runs out. You know, and in Secrets of Heaven 62.13, he says, so hell through its spirits is constantly injecting evil and falsity and corrupting and obliterating truth and goodness, while the Lord through angels is constantly turning those efforts aside, negating them, softening them, and moderating them. Many years of almost continuous experience have made me so comfortable with this idea that I cannot even consider doubting it. However, if angels are to turn aside hell's influence, we must possess truth in our faith united to good in our life for angels to flow into. They need this as a plane on which to act. If we do not possess these attributes, hell carries us off, and the Lord through angels then governs us by external means called outward restraints. These grow out of a self-interested shrewdness that aims to keep us superficially looking as if we loved our neighbor and our country. Our real motivation, though, is high position, wealth, and consequent reputation, or a fear of legal penalties, including death. These are the outer restraints through which we are governed when we have no inner restraints, which are the restraints of conscience. So basically... If you're willing to accept input, you know, they can work in, internally. Otherwise, you're just kind of kept in check by your own fear of your, your reputation. So if you can create that space that they can flow into, you know, 
then the leading is a lot better and you can make a lot more progress. And we're going to finish this segment and finish the show with a specific uh, way that you can help yourself out, and this is through praying, that speech with God can be effective. Uh, it was interesting, though, because in talking to some people who have been involved in this, it seems you can't just do anything. You've got to be specific about it for it to work. And Jerry was the first person I heard this from, that in dealing with the, the schizophrenic voices, patients would tell him only certain prayers were effective. So this is what he had to say. The, the prayers have to be directed specifically at the voices. Um, one day a patient told me, hey, I was praying, and um, the voices got very upset. You know, they, they didn't like that. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. He said, if I prayed specifically to get rid of them, they would get very agitated, and if I kept it up, they would desist for a while. And I'm like, oh, well, that, that's something besides medicines that had an impact on them. And when I heard that from Jerry, that got me thinking about in a, a DVD that I'd once, or a CD that I'd been hearing that Peter Rhodes did, uh, he talked about in in asking God to take away problems through this like 12-step program that you had to ask about specific thoughts and feelings. So I asked Peter, what what was that about? And he gave me this on why specificity helps. Well, I guess one analogy I say is you, if you take your car uh, to a dealer, you can say, you know, give it a wheel and lube and a general thing, and that's nice. But if you start to have problems, you hear a knocking or something like that, you take it in, they have to identify a particular problem. Well, what are you here for? Well, I don't know. Just trying to figure it out. No, what, what are you here for? Well, it sounds like my transmission and I, my car keeps jumping. And uh, Okay, so now we have to identify the problem. When you've identified the problem, you haven't solved the problem. But that's a first step. So in terms of uh, regeneration or the 12 steps, it's, well, yeah, I know you're powerless and your life has become unmanageable. Uh, when you start to experience that, you might want to take that opportunity to really listen to your transmission so that you can identify it is the transmission. It's making a knocking sound. When I hit, you know, 40 miles an hour, it tends to hesitate. So in a 12-step process, it's what thoughts are you having when you're in an argument or resentful uh, attitude towards your wife? What are the thoughts you're having? What are the feelings you're having? Those are the thoughts and those are the feelings that you're asking God to take because they're comprised of your will and replace it with his will. So <clears throat> it's just being very specific. And that's the last thing I believe the evil spirits want you to do. They don't want, they want you to think that person's making you angry. Well, when that person appears to make you angry, what are your third thoughts? Well, he pulled into that parking spot. He knew I, I wanted that parking spot. And, you know, they're all that way. You know, I you know, I know what those young people are like. They just have no respect anymore. Okay, write down all those thoughts, all those feelings. Would you be willing to give up those thoughts and those feelings? Those thoughts and those feelings don't want to give you up. They manifest through you. Would you be willing to have your higher power remove them from you? There's a certain pleasure of insanity to be so right and they're so wrong and all that. Would you be willing to sacrifice that? So now you get really specific. And when I do this and identify it, I also identify the pleasure I have from being angry or irritable. And then it gets down, which pleasure do you want? The pleasure of insanity or the delights of wisdom that God can bring to you if you're willing to have that taken from you and made quiescent. So it really brings you to the question. 
and now you can in fact ask God to do something specific and you'll be asked to give up that particular thought. I went today with my wife. She was telling me some things and I just had this snide remark come up, you know, that five years ago I would have made. And it's just, I observe it. I don't want that will. And that will really wanted to come out of my mouth. But I really don't want it. And when I didn't follow that, you know, she was so excited and she gave me a big hug and everything. And I just see how destructive, because those thoughts and those uh, feelings are the manifestation of the hells within your mind and within your heart that want to come out of your mouth or out of your actions. So you see it right there, and that's where you see that, you know, I really need my higher power or God to remove this because I left myself to love this, and I like to make my wife wrong. That didn't help my relationship a whole lot, but that's what I like. But God doesn't like that. God likes to support my wife. And then when my wife is supported, the pleasure I get from her being supported, which really God brought about, I get to experience as if it's my own. So that's not only do you get the benefit of improved relation in life, you get a personal relationship with God in the in-the-moment temptations, not in generalities. Awesome. So, I mean, that says it all. And that's all we're going to say in this segment of this show. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out. Hey, if you have been enjoying this video, please give it a thumbs up on YouTube. That helps YouTube know that we're cool. And if you haven't already, please subscribe now to our channel. That will just let you get the videos. And it also tells YouTube that we're cool, and then it will show us to more people, and maybe those people will enjoy it. All right, so... This is a long show. This is a long one. We're already past the time we'd normally end the show, but we're going to still do the questions because you guys spent all this time, so we're going to get to those now. Uh, we're just going to take a quick video break, and then I'll talk about what you guys want to talk about. So, see you in a minute. here it's time for the question and answer period as it always is thanks for hanging out thanks for going the distance with us let's see what's on your minds uh, we got questions coming in okay this one is from youtube gudrun the worrying over money is indeed a hell state always having to fear that you can't provide properly for your child does swedenborg mention anything about the hell states that we create in each other how we protect ourselves against those Okay, awesome. And I see a couple of, of topics we could comment on there. Worry is tough to stop, especially when there seems to be a really good reason. If you're worried that you can't provide properly for your child, I mean, that's that's not something you can just brush off because there's somebody depending on you. And even Swedenborg says it's not against order to try to go provide for people you care about and love. Where you can kind of see a dividing point is excessive worry isn't helping anyone it's not helping you go out if you are you know it's not helping you go out and do things it's not helping your kid to see you worried all the time so there's some kind of dividing line there where you can say okay real constructive stuff leads to action if you're already doing everything you can do then maybe this worry is is a hell type thing so the how do we what about the hell states that we create in each other that's tough man even if you do all this spiritual practice stuff somebody cuts you off or or says something to you it's very hard to not get worked up i think that 
one thing we can do is anytime we're triggered into a state like that, that's an opportunity to, to further notice what it feels like to be in hell, right? And the more that we can, oh, I'm in hell right now. Sometimes all you can do is just barely notice instead of just thinking, oh, I'm mad at that person. You can, oh, I'm in hell. So anything like that, in a way, the protection comes to, because if, if we get something positive out of it, that's like sort of the ultimate protection. So those are a couple of thoughts I had. If anyone else in the, in the chat room has something, you can go ahead and, and give a better answer than me. All right, let's take a look at our next one. This is from Rocky Soul on YouTube. It seems as I get closer to God, I get more challenges in life to overcome. Is there a way to get closer to the Spirit and lead a calmer life? Man, if, I, if there is a way, I haven't found it currently, and Swedenborg doesn't seem to give a lot of hope for that, because um, he talks about reformation through struggle. And it, we, we did a show called The Purpose of Spiritual Struggles, and uh, he, they're sometimes translated temptations in the older translation, that, that it's through these hardships that we really come to, like, something like today's show, that, oh, there's, there's hell and heaven in the mind, and you have to, uh, but I don't believe that. If life's going fine, it's easy to not believe that. But if you start to get overwhelmed by hell inside you, you start to be a little more open to, okay, maybe there is something there. So, I don't know. I don't know how to make it calmer. And I, I would hope that the more we establish the mindset of heaven, the not worrying, the more we deflate the ego, the more the less things trigger us. But as of right now, I haven't quite gotten out there. So uh, I, I don't have a ton of, of, of hope, but we're, we're not in this alone. You know, people can support each other. I think there are ways that we can make the journey easier for each other, like Swedenborg was saying, that God can reach out through people to people. So maybe if we develop better networks for that, we can make progress there. So anyway, it's a great question, and I wish I had more better things to say about it. All right, let's take a look at another one. This is from Diego YouTube. In another show, Curtis brought up a point that I've always wondered about. Why is it that good can recognize evil, but evil can't recognize good? I think it might have something to do with frequencies, because we, we're, when we're good, we hit on more cylinders. Yeah, I, I think you're on the right track there, and I would just add to it that Swedenborg says that there's, there's what he calls the heavenly marriage and the hellish marriage, that these are two joinings that are present in everything, that the heavenly marriage is the joining of good and truth, that these things are meant for each other, and that evil and falsity have this hellish marriage together, so that when we're in evil, we naturally gravitate towards falsity. And if you, so if you have misconceptions, you don't see the truth for what it is. But if you're in the truth with good, then you can see evil for what it is. Plus, the universe is set up by God so that, you know, looking at it from the, the perspective of love is the true perspective. So if you're, if you're in the reverse of that, you're, you're not going to see things as they really are. And also spiritual, you know, he says it's like being up high. That when you're up high, you can see what's down low and what's up high. But if you're down low, you can't see up there. Uh, so that's, I like your thought, and I wanted to add that, and it's great. Appreciate it. Okay, next one. Karen on YouTube. Do you believe most drug addicts and drunks all have evil spirits directing their every thought? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think every thought. I think we're all a mix of good and evil, you know? Um, I, I definitely find in my like low level addiction type or you know getting into less than healthy behaviors. There's times when I really feel jerked around by that stuff, and there's times when um, I am uh, you know in my better self. And I think everybody goes through that cycle. You know, and not like a, people who have been addicted or are addicted or in, in some different class. And you can see some people, for whatever reason, can be really far gone. It's really hard to reach them. There's a lot less daylight getting through, but but nobody's completely gone. 
Um, so I, I don't think so. Um, I, but I do think we, we all are under negative influences probably more than, than we realize. But with these tools, it, it can be okay. So that's what I think about that. I could be wrong. I could be right, man. I don't know. Uh, okay, let's, we got three more, I think, here. Um, this is from Jimmy on YouTube. How do you free your mind from those damn evil names in your mind, like the names of demons and Satan? What should I say to myself? I pray to God every day and to the Holy Trinity, so why do I hear these names in my head? That's interesting. I, you know, I. it sounds like we're, we got some kind of repetitive situation there. And I know that Swedenborg talks about uh, evil spirits will focus on, or will try to do the same thing over and over without let up, which is, as somebody pointed out, that's the same technique that that our military does, you know, that, uh, or that the U.S. military does. Other militaries, they'll they'll um, de- deprive people of sleep and, and repeat music over and over, that kind of thing, to try to wear people down. Um, so I'm really sorry that, that you're having that kind of head weather. You know, I what w- you know what I've found is that things that you feel like hold a lot of truth that you can refer to can have a lot of impact. Um, for in the Swedenborgian Christian tradition, things like quotes from the, the Bible that you take to mean something really powerful, that can have an effect. We actually did, if you search uh, on our channel for um, how to stop unwanted thoughts, I believe is the title of it. We did a, a little sh- short video on that. That's the best thing that I've found. I, I know Jerry Marzinski, uh, who said in the other episode that you know you can repeat even if you're repeating the 23rd Psalm over and over and over again, or something else that means that to you. That can be better than hearing that. If anybody in the chat room has anything more than that, those are the first couple things. But um, uh, you know, those are a few things I find that if you're engaging specifically with your negative thoughts and feelings, it will be overwhelming. If you are but if you're repeating these truthful things, then that seems to have potency. And that, as we were saying at the end of the show, praying with your prayers, specificness or specificity, like, please take away these names in my head. That, that that might somehow tip the freedom thing. Obviously, I don't have the the one answer for how to get rid of that, but I, but I appreciate you sharing, and, and, and I hope that you come into good technique soon. All right, so let's get to another one. Um, Theoraptis, YouTube. I always felt that life was a test and the objective was to get the best possible score on the scorecard. But what happens if I keep backsliding? Am I doomed? Yeah, so I don't think so. I mean, Swedenborg just talks about, you know, we were seeing in those quotes, uh, a couple of quotes that we had here, a little bit of effort, that you're trying at least one thing. I don't think it's a cumulative thing. It's, have you shown the willingness to want to try to be good? Do you want to try? It's not like, you know, we're talking about here, up against hell, it could be too much, but if you're just making an effort, that's it. I don't think it's like, the only way to get to, and we talked, what was it, last episode, or two episodes ago, how you end up in heaven or hell. Hell is only if you're refusing to try to be good. Some people are up against more than they can handle here. You know, it's not like we can go out and do harmful things to everyone and, and think, oh, I'll be fine, but if we're trying, what, what we want when we're in a, our calm level states, what we're trying to do when we're not being overwhelmed by something, I think that's what really matters. So those are my thoughts. Okay, we have more. We, people have been asking more new questions, so I'm going to keep going with a few more. This is Drive by Poet on YouTube. I don't think I understand how outside influences from heaven and hell make you think and do stuff, but you still have freedom and volition. Can you summarize that again? Yeah, um, it's a it's a complicated concept because you think yeah, if if these influences are coming in, 
then what are we? And what I think that the primary thing, I mean, obviously everybody's unique. I mean, you can tell it by interacting with people. Swedenborg also says no two people can ever be alike. So there's, we're not just blank, um, you know, cups that can be filled with, with different kinds of water, but there is an element of we're being flown, things are flowing into us. And what Swedenborg will say is that a lot of it is we do have a this part in the middle of us that gets to choose what to accept or reject or what to resist against and what to what to grab onto and even if sometimes that's being pushed around it always kind of returns to equilibrium so that's an important part and it's the same thing with which kind of thoughts and what what actions what which thoughts we let go into actions you know we 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 get the idea oh do I want to go study this kind of thing all right I'm going to do it the, the kind of receptacle we are defines an essence and as far as you know the you know we're not yeah you can sort of get into thinking like oh we're we're sort of nothing but it's not how it is and the swedenborg says the more you go into heaven the more you feel like you are your own person even though the even though you know your life is coming from god um the more you feel like you are your own person and he also says that in the ideal state you know, how things are supposed to be, we wouldn't be ruled intermediately by spirits. We'd be just getting, have this direct flow of life from God. So this is kind of like a patch there. So uh, it's a great, it's a really good question that a lot of people have had. I don't know if that was a good summary, but uh, I tried it. And if not, you know, you can ask another question later and and I'll try it again. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, Let's do another one. This is Rocky Soul, YouTube. So part of our job as a spiritual person is to forgive people that have been led astray by an evil spirit. I oh, mean, I think so. I mean, that's that's hard to do. To you know, this this principle of oh, if we really believe that evil was from hell and good was from heaven, we could be free of this. It would be the same in the way we feel about other people. You know, that we could also say that's hard to do if somebody does something that that bothers you. You know, to say hey, listen. You know, they they're they're complicit in some ways and they're a victim in another way. Uh, you know that. That's something that, you know, gets you towards, I mean, that, that's that's going towards the angelic mindset. Obviously, we don't enable harmful behavior, but you're not interested in judging the person because you know that, hey, man, they were suckered by by hell into doing it on some level. So I think so, man. I, I like that, Rocky Soul. All right, one last one. This is really the last one, again, from Rocky Soul. So we have to love God and shun evil and not be married to the outcome. All right, yeah, man, I, I, I think so. Uh outcomes are hard to control. It's more, what Swedenborg describes more is the mindset. And yeah, that's basically, it comes in the order of push away what's bad, love what's good, and then believe in divine providence. So I I think you said it well. I don't need to add a ton to it. All right, everyone, this is probably the longest episode of the show that we've ever had. So thank you so much for hanging with me for all this time. If you value marathon <laughs> discussions about spirits influencing our thoughts like this and you want them to continue, please consider making a donation to the nonprofit Swedenborg Foundation. It's tax deductible. Open up the link in the description if you're watching live or if you're watching in post, just click this box here um, and that will take you to a place. Just just five bucks would make a big difference because we have this, this grant that will match it five to one. So you, it'll go a long way. It would really make it so we can keep doing this and, and you know, hopefully provide something that, that is not too common out on the web, you know, this kind of discussion, this kind of experience. Thank all of you, Thanks very much to all of you guys. And if you want to join us next week, we'll be doing this at the same time. We're going to take a tour of some of the strangest places in the afterlife. So hopefully you want to get on board for that, and I'll see you next week. Thanks again.